0: friendarino and welcome to the third episode of hello mr burns where i talk about old school simpsons episodes and how watching these episodes might make you sound smarter my name is Perry and i love the simpsons so much that i was saying boo burns i was saying boo learns. in this episode i'm going to be taking you through the second ever aired episode of the simpsons we'll start with a super duper quick episode synopsis list out new and notable characters and then we're going to get straight into some good old did you know's In this wonderful episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the weird world of super smart people who don't need a calculator to calculate how much a 20% tip is. We're going to discuss the weird folklore of hamsters in the butt. And lastly, but definitely not leastly, we're going to explore the problematic theory of phrenology and why your weird shaped head could have landed you in a mental ward at one point in history. Okay, without further ado, this is season one, episode two of The Simpsons, Bart the Genius. (laughs) The episode begins with the Simpsons playing a game of Scrabble. Marge reminds Bart that he should stimulate his brain by improving his vocabulary if he hopes to pass his big test tomorrow. Bart cheats and throws down a made-up word, quidgybo, and Homer goes ballistic. At school, Bart is busted for vandalism by Principal Skinner after the class genius and certified snitch, Martin Prince, jobs him in. To get revenge, Bart decides to switch tests with Martin. The school psychologist, Dr. Pryor, studies the IQ test and calls in Marge and Homer to discuss how Bart is actually a genius. Homer and Marge enroll him in a school called the Rich Learning Center for Gifted Children. One day, you may achieve something that we Simpsons have dreamed about for generations. You may outsmart someone. Bart immediately fills out of place with the other students who are super advanced and super smart. After Bart's chemistry experiment explodes, filling the school with green goo, he confesses to Dr. Pryor that he did indeed switch tests with Martin. Dr. Pryor realises that he was never really a genius, and Bart's readmitted to Springfield Elementary. When Bart gets home, he confesses to Homer that he cheated on his intelligence test, but that he's glad that they're closer than they ever were before. Homer doesn't care that their relationship has been improved, and he goes ballistic, starts chasing Bart. Cue credits. So in this episode, we do meet some key characters for the first time. We meet Mrs. Krabappel. What are you looking at, Bart? Are those naughty dogs back again? Melhouse. Ooh, look out, Bart! Here comes Skinner! Yikes! Martin. One of my fellow children is vandalizing school property. And, as noted by Wikipedia, it is the debut performance of Hamster Number 1 and Hamster Number 2. It also marks the first use of Bart's catchphrase. Eat my shorts. Now it's time to get surface-level educated with some interesting references in this episode. What do we need a psychiatrist for? We know our kid is nuts. This episode is just popping with extremely advanced scientific and academic references. And it's episodes like this that remind us just how intelligent the early writers of The Simpsons were. In the scene where Bart tries to visualise a maths question... It was noted by the New York Times that the train question is actually very advanced calculus. The writing team of The Simpsons at the time included people like David X. Cohen, who has a master's in computer science, Ken Keeler, who has a PhD in applied maths, and Jeff Westbrook, who not only has a PhD in computer science too, but he was an associate professor at Yale before he joined the writing team. So in the opening Scrabble game, Lisa puts down the word id, I-D. And no, this isn't a contraction of I had. It's actually a reference to something called id. So, defined by Freud in his model of the psyche, he says that your noggin has three agents that theoretically control how and why you do things you have the ego, the superego, and then the id. The id is a set of your uncoordinated, instinctual desires. The superego plays a more critical and judgmental role. And then the ego is the poor sap in the middle that just wants the other two to get along. When Bart is graffitiing the school, Martin throws down this line. The preferred spelling of wiener is w-i-e-n-e-r, although e-i is an acceptable ethnic variant. Good point. So as someone who gets an eye twitch whenever I see a typo, I was a little bit curious as to the difference between the two alternate spellings of wiener. We all know the rhyme I before E except after C, but this rhyme doesn't work on words like neighbor, weird or glacier. What is the correct spelling of wiener? Well, if we're talking about the delicious sausage, follow the rhyme and write W-I-E. W-E-I is a person's name. Think of Anthony Weiner, the guy that was sending out nudes. And while technically it's a typo, it works in the dramatic sense. Weiner's aside, this is also the scene where we get to see the Principal Skinner pathetic meme. There are a few things to cover when Bart is dragged into Principal Skinner's office for a meeting about his IQ being 216. I googled to see other people who also have an IQ of the same, And the closest listed person is someone called Kim Ung-yong, who has an IQ of 210, and Wikipedia has listed them as a former child prodigy, which is a little bit mean. When Dr. Pryor barges in, he starts measuring Bart's skull. What he's doing is actually following a very disproven psychological examination known as phrenology. So back in the late 1700s, scientists and medical chaps used to assess and predict someone's psychological capabilities based on the size of their head in a practice called phrenology. Phrenology has a pretty nasty history with lots of racial discrimination and white supremacists, and a tendency to label individuals as a lost cause or a criminal just because of their skull shape. Phrenology also states that women who have a low forehead and a larger back of the skull are somehow better at art than others. Isn't that nice? But phrenology experts also note, and I quote... The existence of a minority of talented women does not grant women as a gender the right to vote or participate in politics. For the record, I have a gigantic skull. Um, Actually, when I was working on a movie, the wig maker had to remake my wig three times because he'd never seen a skull so gigantic. I have never participated in politics. Maybe they're onto something. Phrenology as a practice was introduced into Britain in a time when the old theological and philosophical understanding of the mind was being questioned. People were kind of disillusioned with how the world was evolving, and it was around this time that scientific lectures were becoming a form of middle-class entertainment. This movement's very similar to what TED Talks are in 2021. They take formally advanced and intellectually gate topics and distill and dilute the language to reach a wider audience. Just like this podcast, it kind of gives you surface-level information to make you sound smarter. You're welcome. The chief promoter of phrenology at the time, George Combe, capitalised on this and he published his book On the Constitution of Man in its Relationship to External Objects, strategically using language that a middle-class British man would understand. It actually became a sign of sophistication amongst the middle class to be learned on this new fangled phrenology. You can just imagine ye old-timey men at the pub trying to pick up lassies by examining the size of their head. And actually on the topic of romance, in Peter McCandless's 1992 book, He says that in the 19th century people often use phrenology as a matchmaking tool. If you were single you could book in with a phrenologist for an assessment and potentially be matched up with your ideal partner. France historically didn't take to the idea of phrenology for political reasons but the United States could not get enough of it. Funnily enough, when Mr George Combe got off the boat in Ireland in 1815, armed with books and a lecture circuit to promote the movement, It was reported that the general public valued his ideas more for their comic relief than anything else. They found it hilariously stupid, and poor Cone was deflated and left with his tail between his legs. You might not know this, but phrenology is littered throughout literature, with Edgar Allan Poe often touching on the idea. Terry Pratchett's Discworld has a practice called retro phrenology, where bumps are added to your head in order to alter your personality. And our favorite middle-aged dad bod modelizer Leonardo DiCaprio references it in Django Unchained when he mentions that he's a practitioner of phrenology. The fact that his character is a believer in phrenology kind of lines up with how racist the whole practice is. The science of phrenology is crucial to understanding the separation of our two species. Okay, enough science. Let's get to the hamster stuff. Hamster number one and hamster number two First appear on the scene when they're both used as a test subject at the enriched learning center for gifted children. Hamster number one was infected with staff and hamster number two is the control hamster. When Bart accidentally blows up the school both the hamsters escape. I was beginning to research hamsters as a literary figure in media and suddenly I found myself falling down a strange rabbit hole thanks to an episode of South Park and the character Lemmy Winks. As a slight trigger warning I will be discussing the concept of animal cruelty, but I just want to say up front that there are zero instances of this ever happening. I'm sure in some disgusting corner of the dark web it's a thing, but for everyone's mental health and for my well-being, I'm going to say right now that this is all fake. So, hamsters in the butt. Gerbling is an unsubstantiated sexual practice of inserting a live animal, usually a gerbil or a hamster, into someone's butt. This may ring a bell if you've ever watched South Park. Now, what do you think is going to happen when I introduce the element of the gerbil to the endothermic heat of Mr. Slave's ass? Austin Powers. Ah! What is it? It's a gerbil. How did that get in your bag? Bruno. You ever been, honey? I've never killed an animal, although so I did once suffocate a hamster in Mykonos. Or listen to Eminem's song, Fack, where he says... Now see that gerbil, grab that tube, stick it up my butt, let that little rascal nibble on my asshole. Guys, by the way, my mixtape will be dropping in summer 2022. The idea of gerbling first popped up in folklore in 1984. Initially, rumours were said to involve a mouse, a celebrity, and an unidentified man. Mike Walker, a National Enquirer gossip columnist, spent months attempting to verify celebrity gerbling rumours. Mike Walker has since said, I have never worked harder on a story in my life. After much investigation, I was unable to find any evidence that a gerbiling incident has ever happened. I'm completely convinced that it's nothing more than an urban legend. Let me just say, thank God. Okay, deep breath everyone, moving on. Just to lighten the mood a little bit, I also ended up watching some clips of hamster competitions, which is where people compete to have the cutest hamster. The little hamsters are judged on their colours, markings, fur, their general health, body weight and the shape of their tail. It takes a full two years of training to become a hamster show judge. The judges have a few abbreviations to describe the hamster. So TBL is a not so good abbreviation and it means that the hamster has thin belly fur. JP, which is a very good abbreviation, means judge's pocket, which means that the judges loved meeting the hamster so much that they wanted to take it home in their pocket. Hamsters were introduced to the UK from Syria in 1931 when a scientist smuggled them through customs by hiding them in his coat pocket, but that's a whole other story. So during the show, hamsters are permitted to be fed a juicy piece of fruit or a vegetable. However, standard hamster snackaroos are not permitted because if the hamster stuffs his cheeks with food, judging becomes difficult or impossible. And if you ever need a pick-me-up, trust me on this, head to YouTube and watch some clips of it. They're gorgeous. And on that adorable note, we reach the conclusion of our episode. Next week's episode is Homer's Odyssey, and we'll be getting into a bit of ancient Greek history, the science behind why people get carsick, and some old school tunes that have some interesting backstories. My name is Perry, thanks for tuning in, and as always, keep watching the skis.